Man, it is good to be here tonight at Chi Alpha. I love you. I don't even know if you think I know you, but it doesn't even matter. I love you. Uh, I, and if you didn't know this, um, I used to be a part of Chi Alpha back in the 80s. Did you know that? And uh, some of the, the best memories of my life and my ministry and just getting to, getting to be a part of this ministry right here long before you ever came along, probably when you were in junior high or something like that, uh, I was here. And uh, back then we used to meet on Monday nights and share and... Um, uh, share life together, and it was a good time. So, I'm thrilled to be with you guys tonight and worship with you. And and uh, they always run away when I start preaching; they just run away and cry. So, please don't do that. You'll miss the cupcake. Um, that looks really good, by the way. But I'm, so, focus. Here we go. Um, it is good to be here. I'm thrilled to be with you guys tonight. And I, I just came to encourage someone tonight. Is that all right? How many of you guys would take a little bit of encouragement? Awesome. Most of you, some of you guys are just too cool. You're like, whatever. I don't even need it. I'm, I stay encouraged. That's okay, too. And you can help me encourage other people tonight. But I want to tell you a quick story before we kind of jump in. I want to tell you about the most gangster sparrow I ever met. Okay? I'm going to tell you about the most gangster little birdie I ever met. This is back in the year of our Lord, 1991. How many of you guys were even alive in 1991? Just a couple of us, okay? The rest of you, <laughs> you were just a whisper in the mind of God, all right? But... I'm 11 years old in the, in the pastures of West Odessa, and I got for Christmas a Red Rider BB gun. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I think we have a picture of a Red Rider BB gun. This is an old Christmas movie. Maybe you've seen it on the, on the, on the, on the whatever channel, TV channel that Christmas movies come on. That's a Red Rider BB gun. It was a single pump uh, BB gun that literally probably couldn't have ever killed anything, all right? In fact, we used to like shoot ourselves in the foot. Yeah, West Texas, West Odessa, I mean... That's how sharp we were, and it didn't even hurt, so it couldn't have killed an animal. But one day, my cousin Adam and I, we were walking around uh, through the back pastures, and we were going to kill us some birds, right? So we went out as two young conquering heroes uh, to bring back a trophy, and uh, I remember sitting up in this tree, just kind of scouring all the telephone wires and and looking through all the other trees, looking for a bird to shoot, and uh, you know, I'm not seeing anything, and, and I'm out there for a couple hours just looking for a bird, and all of a sudden, as I'm sort of scanning uh, the, 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 the area for, for a bird, I hear this little chirp, 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 right in my ear. I'm thinking, that, that bird's really close. That bird's about to die. All right, so I started kind of scanning along, and I look. I'm not making this up. That bird was literally like a foot away from my head in a little branch, just sitting there looking at me. Right, and, and so I slowly, what, what did I do? I slowly, like any trained killer would do, I, I, I got my gun and started slowly turning it towards the birdie. And I got it all the way right into that little bird's face. And do you know what the most gangster bird of all time did? He just started like biting my gun, like just started like gnawing on my gun. I was like, what, what courage? I mean, what, kind, what bravery? Like that is so gangster. Like this bird, this bird is not scared at all. And then I got scared. I was like, I can't do it. My first thought was, I'm going to blow this, this bird's head off. And my next bird was like, my next thought was like, I've got to let this bird live. He has earned his living. He's, I mean, with courage, I can't let this, he's got to go on to, to fly another day and chirp another day. And my cousin, Adam, I forgot he was even here. I look, he's down at the bottom of the tree and he's like, shoot the bird. And I'm like, no. And he's like, come on, you sissy, shoot the bird. I'm like, no. And he's like, and, and uh, he goes like this and he, and he raises his gun to shoot the bird. I'm like, no, stop. And the bird flies away. And I climb down out of the tree. My, my cousin's going to be like, you are such a wuss. Come on, man. Really? 
And the only thing I could think to do, I tried to think of the most spirit. Have you guys ever tried to Jesus juke someone and just come up with something really spiritual to say to sort of change the conversation? I was like, look, look at him. I couldn't do it. You know why? Because his eye is on the sparrow. And Adam was like, all right. (laughs) He walked off. I was like, yes. But here's what I, here's what I came to tell you uh, tonight. And maybe you know this in your head, but maybe tonight God wants to remind you in your heart that he's, that he's, that he's looking right at you and that you were under his gaze and he's never stopped paying attention to you. I want in the next few moments to talk about the fact that God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need. And one of the ways the enemy, I think, tries to sort of discourage people in their walk is to get believers to somehow think that that God's not aware of their situation, uh, that he's not aware of our needs. He, he doesn't really know what we're going through. And, and that happens in a variety of ways. Sometimes, I mean, hard times come, don't they? I mean, just challenging times come and, and we get our hearts broken and we get discouraged and, and someone lets us down and, and things happen in life and, and they're difficult. And um, we just come across hard situations. Sometimes it, it's even worse because we, we sort of look and we realize that we sort of created the problem in some way. Like it was, it was our bad decision. It was our lack of judgment. And, and the enemy at that point says, you know what? You said things that you shouldn't have said. You lied. You know, you cheated. Uh, you, you lost your cool. You, you blew it. Uh, you let people down. So how's God going to help you? And, you're, you know, you're getting what you deserve. Have you ever thought that? The enemy wants you to feel, I believe, he wants you to feel distance between you and God that is not necessarily there. And one of the things that I think builds faith is is this understanding that no matter what happens, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, that God sees where we're at and he's, he's acutely aware of us. And I think of the scripture, this is not new to us. Uh, how many of you guys have ever heard of a guy named Job in the Bible? Job, uh, maybe you thought it was Job. It's Job. Okay, his name was Job, but he was a very righteous man, a man of integrity, godly man. And if you know the story, if you haven't read it, you should go read it. It's a, it's a sobering but powerful story. Uh, Job's just, he's, he's walking with God. He's faithful to God. And uh, all of a sudden, man, I mean, the storms of life just come crashing against him. And, you know, you could be a, a great godly person and hard times still come, right? So don't buy into the lie that just because a storm came uh, that, God, that God forgot about you, that God let you go. It, hap- uh, the, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Have you read that in scripture? So Job's going along and, and things happen and, man, he just, he, he's suffering, I mean, suffering. He didn't get like a parking ticket at ASU. He's, he's suffering, all right? He's lost everything. He's lost family members. He's lost his health. He's lost his wealth. His friends are accusing him uh, and saying, hey, the reason all this has happened to you, Job, is because you've been sinning, and that sin's making stuff happen in your life and, and ha- has brought in this situation. Even Job's wife is like, bro, you just need to curse God and die. It's over for you. And he's like, Wow. Thanks, cheerleader of my life. I mean, I mean, it's just it was it was looking it was not looking good for him. And he and you find Job saying, you know what? I'd really like to talk to God. I'd really like to talk to God, but I can't seem to find him. Have you been there? And listen to what he says in Job twenty three verse three. We're going to put that up on the screen. Screen, not the screen, the screen. Job twenty three three. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. And he goes on to say in verse 8, 
But if I go to the east, he's not there. And if I go to the west, I don't find him. And when he's at work in the north, I don't see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. So he's saying, I'm looking for him, but I'm not seeing him. And the prophet Isaiah, he says something similar. He's talking about the people of Israel, sort of what they're saying about God and what they're feeling and thinking about God. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, and maybe you'll be able able to identify with this. He says, God, they're saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't even care what happens to me. So here's what we see in scripture. It's possible for a nation of people to feel this way. It's possible for a group of people to feel this way. It's certainly possible for an individual to feel this way. God doesn't care what happens to me. God's big. I mean, he's got bigger fish to fry. He's, he's running a universe. He's got stuff to do. He doesn't have time to think about little old me. I mean, yeah, God speaks. I mean, he's speaking to, to people out there somewhere, like really spiritual, godly people. And, uh, you know, I know God still heals and God still delivers, just, just maybe not, maybe not for me. Have you ever thought that? Like, I know the Bible's true and he does that kind of stuff. I just, just, think he, just don't think he does it for someone like me. One of the most encouraging stories in all of scripture is found in Genesis chapter uh, 16. And it's about a woman named Hagar. Everybody say Hagar. Hagar. She's a single woman in probably the worst situation that she could possibly, a human being could possibly possibly being in that day. She's a female slave. Slaves in that time are, they're, they're basically, they're, they're property, right? And so she's a, she's a female slave. She's also a foreigner, and she has zero rights in that culture, no, no social standing at all. And from a cultural uh, perspective, uh, she would have really had no reason to believe that God would even care about her. And here's the reason why people didn't care about her. And don't we do that? Don't we take the circumstances of our lives and even how people treat us and what people say about us, and we project that onto God? We say, if that's how people feel, that must be how God feels. And if life's going this way, that must be God doing it. And we, and we project those things on God. But in Genesis chapter 16, we see something really powerful that takes place. Uh, and, and we're going to be in verse 1 if you want to read this. It says, Abram's wife, Sarai. Now, this is Abram's it's before he becomes who? Abraham, right? And this is Sarai before she becomes Sarah. Man, you guys are like Bible students. Man, come on. I didn't know you, oh, you're sharp, okay. And they haven't had their son Isaac yet, right? He's the son of promise. And here's what scripture tells us, man, they just can't have children. God's promised them uh, these incredible things. They can't have kids. Years have passed and nothing's happened. But how many of you know, just because it ha- hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not gonna happen. I mean, just if God's promised you something, just because you haven't seen the promise come to pass yet doesn't mean it's not going to. Because God is faithful to his promise. And here they are, um, they're waiting for the promise to happen. And they've been, they're, they're losing faith, they're losing hope, and uh, they've been waiting about 11 years or so. And we can't wait 11 minutes, right? <laughs> We're like, God, God, what happened? 11 years they've been waiting. And it says, uh, Abram's wife, Sarah, had not borne him any children. But she had an Egyptian slave woman named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Why don't you sleep with my slave? Perhaps she can have a child for me. Now, time out. Got to explain a little bit here for a second, okay? 
So this was something that was obviously culturally acceptable in that day. But the Bible, I just want to get, throw this out there. The Bible universally shows this to be relationally destructive, like dynamite to a family, to a relationship. Uh, so obviously... Uh, this is not like promoting sister wives of the Old Testament. This is not what's going on here, okay? Um, the Bible universally uh, does not endorse this. But in the culture of that day, this is very prevalent. So Abraham, Abram agrees with Sarah, what she says, and he takes Hagar to be his concubine, all right? Uh, that's always, by the way, uh, not, not a good thing, okay? So God had promised them a child, and instead of waiting on God, here's what they did. They took matters into their own hands, they took matters into their own hands. Can I just tell you something? That's always a recipe for disaster. When we feel like God's promised us something and we think he's taken too long because we like microwave miracles, not crockpot crock pot miracles, right? We take matters into our own hands and, um, and things end up going badly. Um, so tonight, if you're waiting on the Lord and it hasn't happened, don't go, well, God helps those who help themselves. You know, I said that one time to a group of people. I said, God helps those who help themselves. And they were like, amen. I was like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. No, that's, that's not actually in the Bible. You know that, right? And they were like, it's not? I was like, no, no, no. It's like the opposite. God helps those who can't help themselves. That's called grace. How many of you guys are thankful for grace? So we go, hey, if God's not doing it fast enough and, and he's not doing it the way I want him to do it, we've got to take matters into our own hands, hands because God helps those who help themselves. And I need to make something happen. And can I just tell you something? Be very, very careful. You're going to make a huge mistake. And the consequences of that will be with you for a long, long time. And Abram agreed with what, with what Sarai said. And Abe's like, sleep with Who? Well, honey, I mean, if you insist, I, I guess I just, I'll be obedient, right? And he goes along, gets a concubine. So she gave Hagar to him to be his concubine. This happened after Abram had lived in Canaan for 10 years. In verse 4, Abram had intercourse with Hagar and she became pregnant. And when she found out that she was pregnant, she became proud and despised Sarah. And then Sarah said to Abram, it's your fault that Hagar despises me. I just, I love this, that she has completely forgotten whose idea this was, hadn't she, right? It's just been a couple minutes and she's like, it's your fault, Abram. And isn't that the way it goes? Isn't that the way it goes? I mean, we take matters into our own hands and things go south and we go, man, Pastor Heath, uh, he's not being nice to me, right? Are we like, we blame it on somebody else or really anyone else? I mean, we blame it on God. We automatically go, it's your fault, your fault, your fault, your fault. I was just trying to make things work for myself, and it didn't. And so I got to blame somebody. Anybody? Are you guys with me? Are you, are you getting this? Absolutely. She said, it's your fault. I myself gave her to you, and ever since she found out that she was pregnant, she has despised me, right? And it's your fault. And Abe's like, I don't know why you always got to be judging me, Sarai. And Sarai goes, hey, here's the thing. May the Lord be the judge of which one of us is right, you or me. I mean, God will tell us who's wrong and who's right. And you just got to, I just picture plates flying like all over the kitchen, right? I mean, a vase going across the house. I mean, stuff's breaking and people in the village are like, whoa, again? These guys are at it again? I mean, this is a knockdown, drag out fight. And in verse six, Abram answered, very well. 
She's your slave. She's under your control. And just do whatever you want with her. And the Bible says, Sarah treated Hagar so cruelly that she ran away. So it's a, man, it's a, it's a bad scene. And she's running. She's running away. But where's she going to go? I mean, it's not like she can catch a flight to another city. It's not like she can get on a camel and get across the country. I mean, she's a woman. She's in a desert-like climate. She's out there all alone. Uh, she's, she's part of, of the mess, and she finds herself in a nightmare uh, situation. Seems like no one cares. Seems like no one knows where she is. No one's concerned. And there's some people here tonight, you feel like no one cares. You're not even sure whether God cares. But you're here tonight, which is good for you, because God wants you to know, I believe through this message, and I I don't know who I'm talking to. It may just be a couple of you, maybe a lot of you, but God wants you to know through this message that God sees exactly where you're at, and he knows exactly what you're going through. He's not confused. He's not surprised. He's aware of your life. And if you read the story, you find this is so so incredible, because here's this woman on the run with a mess behind her. And it says, the angel of the Lord shows up. I don't know if you know who the angel of the Lord is. But every time you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord in scripture, you know who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. In the Old Testament, it's talking about the the pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ himself, right? That's that's incredible. Jesus shows up and he speaks to her in verse 8. And he said, Hagar, I love that he knows her name. He didn't show up and go, which one, which one were you? Because you were looking at one of the concubines. Like, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I just notice that he speaks to her, not at her. And I love that Jesus shows up and he starts asking questions that he probably knows the answer to. Are you with me? You know, Jesus doesn't ask questions for information, right? He's already got all the information. But sometimes he asks you and I questions to get us to start thinking about why we're doing what we're doing and, and where we're going. Just like in the Garden of Eden, he sh- when Adam and Eve were on the run because of their sin, there was a mess behind them. And God goes, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. He's wondering if Adam knew where he was. Right? <laughs> and Adam goes, oh, I'm running from the one who's left me all my life. What am I doing? Why am I hiding? And Sarah's on the run, and, and, and Jesus says, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she answered, I'm running away from my mistress. He said, go back to her and be your slave. And then he says, I'll give you so many descendants that no one will be able to count them. Does that sound kind of familiar? He said something similar to Abraham, right? You're going to have a son, and you will name him Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And I believe that God still does things because he hears the cries of his children. I really believe that he responds in compassion and mercy and grace when we cry out to him. And I want you to notice something here. First of all, God demonstrates care for her. He talks to her, not at her, but to her. And he calls her by name and he says, where are you going? And then he he listens. I mean, God knows who she is and he knows what she's thinking and and where she thinks she's going, but, but he engages her in conversation. I just think this is so powerful because he values her, right? And, and no one else in society values her, but, but he does. He cares about her. And notice when he, uh, when he comes to her, he does what God will often do. He cares. 
But that doesn't mean that he won't offer correction, right? There's some things he'll want us to do when he comes to care for us. So if we, how many know if, if we need correction, he cares for us so much that he will bring correction, right? A father disciplines the son that he loves, right? So he tells her to go home and, and, and he says, you know, don't quit. Don't, don't run away. Uh, he's not sending, but here's the thing. He's not sending her back to a hopeless situation. Uh, it may have seemed that way, but he talks to her about her future, right? He makes her some promises. He knows her name. He knows what she's going through. And he offers her, he offers her promises about her future. And I want you to hear me today. Your present situation is not, uh, he's saying, I, it's not what I have for you in the future, okay? Uh, it, this is not permanent. This is not the end all, be all. And, I, and someone needs to hear today, God is, God is with us. And listen, he is, he is taking us somewhere. We were all on a journey, and he has not abandoned us. He is with us. And so she's got this decision to make. Does, does she believe him? Does she, does she obey him? Uh, does she put her hope in him? I mean, can, can things actually uh, be different this time, and, and how can she do that? How can she do that? Here's why. Here's how. Because there's a God who sees where she's at and promises her a future of hope. And he does the same thing for you, and he does the same thing for me. In Genesis 16, verse 13, Hagar asked herself, I love this, man. Are you ready for this? This is so cool. Have I really seen God and lived to tell about it? So she called the Lord who had spoken to her a God who what? See, say that a lot. She, she, had, she called the Lord who had spoken to her what? A God who sees. Say it one more time. A God who sees. That's so cool. That is so cool. In fact, if you actually want to like truly know what it literally says, it could actually be read, truly I have seen him who sees me. Truly I have seen him who sees me. Folks, God sees you. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on all around you. He knows what family you came from. He's, he knows where you're going. Uh, he knows what your future holds. And, and he says this as much in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, which is a verse that proves I was the most spiritually superior 11-year-old uh, humanly possible. He says this, are not two sparrows, hello, are you with me? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them, listen to this, will fall to the ground apart from your father. I knew I had a leg up on Adam. Come on. Now, here's what's really cool. Check this out. The word sparrow there is actually, it's actually a generic word uh, that really just means little bird. And not just any little bird, a cheap little bird. Okay, check this out. In fact, Luke tells us in, the, in his gospel, if you bought four, they'd throw the fifth one in free. That's how cheap it is. They're like, oh, you want four? Here, take one more, right? Because <laughs> they're so cheap. They're so little. Uh, and what did they do with them? Does anyone know what they would do with them? What they would do with these little cheap birdies? They'd actually roast them up for hors d'oeuvres, right? How many guys like a good uh, appetizer? Um, come on, man, some mozzarella sticks. I mean, some, some jalapeno poppers. I mean, some, come, come on. That's heaven right there. I believe that manna from heaven is some jalapeno poppers. Come on now. That's some good stuff. You could get saved eating one of those. But uh, so, 
So think about this. They're just finger foods. They're just finger foods. And, 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 and I thought about that and it just kind of blew my mind, right? My mind just blew up because I'm thinking, well, you mean God cares about finger foods? Come on. God cares about two for a penny hors d'oeuvres? He does. He, that's what the Bible just said he does. Think about that. He cares when a bird dies. You drive down the road and maybe you've seen birds that have, that have met their match with a car all the time, right? You've, you've, you've seen them. Here's what's interesting. Some Greek texts uh, indicate that when it says fall, it's actually referring to a little birdie that goes hop. Hop, hop. So he knows when a little birdie goes hop, and he knows when a little birdie stops hopping, right? R.I.P. Little birdie, right? He sees it all. So let me just ask you this question, because, look, I'm not the fastest boat in the race, and I'm not the quickest guy, but this just, like, really ministers to me. Maybe it'll minister to you. Let me just ask the obvious question. If he sees the birds... And he cares about the birds. A bird that's destined to be finger food. How much more does he care about you? That's going to help somebody in here. How much more? In uh, Matthew chapter 10 verse 30. This is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. You ready for this? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Everybody say numbered. The average head of hair has 140,000 hairs. Did you know that? Some of us are messing up that average, but by and large, <laughs> the average head of hair has 140,000 hairs. I love that. Notice, now notice he doesn't, now he, do, he doesn't say that he counts them, right? He numbers them. Are you with me? There's a difference in counting and, and numbering, right? Like he doesn't have a total. He doesn't say, you know, like Reese has 140,000, Landon has three. He doesn't just have a total. <laughs> he numbers them, okay? He knows each one. That was hair 10,384. That's pretty cool. So tomorrow morning, when, you're, when you get up in the morning at 1 p.m., whenever you wake up, and you're brushing, you know, you did the teeth, and you brushed it, and you did the circles, and you did this way, and, and then you, you rinse your mouth out, and you get your comb out, and you start brushing your hair. It must be nice, but you're, you're brushing your hair, and, and you're doing that whole thing, and, and you looked at, there's one little uh, hair that ends up on your brush. Listen to me. God's up to speed. He's up to speed. He's still got the number. That, that's amazing. Here's why that's so cool. That, that knowledge, right down to the seemingly most insignificant detail of your life, he knows. He knows. What's that tell you? Here's what that tells you. He cares about things in your life that you don't even care about, right? You wonder if he cares about you and if, and if he cares about the big things that concern you of course he does he cares about the tiniest things that don't even concern you he knows you that well he's that acquainted with who you are listen to me he created you he loves you the bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb right he had plans for you that predate you ever taking a breath on this earth in ephesians he calls you his inheritance all of his wealth is, is invested where in you Amazingly, he would do that. Think of all, this, all the splendor of heaven, that you are more valuable to him than all of that. He invested all of his wealth, where? In you. In Psalm 33, 
I love this. Verse 13. It says, from heaven the Lord looks down and he sees all mankind. And from his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers, listen to me, everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. And here's here's our human tendency. This is what we all do. We all do this. We say, you know, if, if I had this or, you know, like if I just had a little bit more of that or, you know, if I had, you know, if I had an army, right? I mean, if I had, if I had money, if I had, you know, a boyfriend or, a, you know, a girlfriend or, you know, maybe if I had someone who was wifey material or if I finally had my, you know, prince uh, charming knight in shining armor. I mean, if I had like, if I could get enough, good enough grades to graduate and get that kind of job, right, where I could have that kind of life. And, and here's what we do. Any person who's really going through a tough time can describe a situation where they feel like they, they would feel a whole lot better about. Right? This is what I've got now. But, but if only I could have, man, everything would be better. I mean, I just, you know what? Here's the thing. Pastor Landon, I'd just be, I'd be happy finally. I'd just finally have happiness. And, if, you know, if I, if I just had better health, if I just had more wealth, if, if I could just, you know, sort of be like them or, or look like her or, 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 or you make money like him. I mean, here's the thing. God says no king is saved by the strength of his army. And listen to me. You can have a seemingly perfect situation, but in the end, that's not what brings salvation That's not what brings peace. That's not what brings joy or victory or fulfillment or wholeness. It says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those. Verse 18, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Do we have verse 18? Throw that up there, guys. We don't? Well, just listen to me real clear. Are you ready? Because you can't miss this. It's like the best verse that I'm going to read, okay? But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them. That's good, isn't it? His eyes are on those. God is watching for people who understand and realize that he sees them. And because they know he's the God who sees and and they're seeing the God who sees, God says, listen to me, I'm never going to let them down. I'm just not ever going to let them down. Ever. And the Bible says that phrase over and over and over again. Does this sound familiar to you? Those who hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. And you go, well, Landon, I mean, I'm a Christian and I've been disappointed a lot of times. but But there's a disappointment that comes that literally is without hope. That's a lot different than, man, this stinks and this is hard, but somehow I know that God's with me and somehow I know that there's still hope in God. Somehow I know there's still a future in God. I still have an eternity with him. He's not abandoned me. He's not left me alone. I'm hard pressed on every side, but I am not crushed. I'm not persecuted. I'm a persecuted, but I'm not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. He's with me and he sees me. Those who hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. So listen, you are never going to be able to say in your life, I promise you, you are never going to be able to say, I trusted you, God, and you blew it. Never. God's not going to let that happen. 
He's watching for people who look to him. And maybe tonight you feel like God's forgotten you, that you don't matter to anybody or in terms of society. Man, you're, you're not, you, maybe you're lacking resource or you're not well connected. And maybe it looks bleak. But there's a God who sees you. And maybe listen to me. Maybe you know this in your head, but you need to get this in your heart tonight. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And if you look to him, listen to me, he will help you. He will help you. I don't know if you know this about me, but I've got, I've got four kids. I've got four beautiful little Henry kids. I've got four kids, not because I love kids, uh, but I, I've got four kids, four offspring, okay? I love them. Ellie, Grayson, Lila, and Joseph. Aren't they good-looking kids? Come on, just, just act like they are, just for a second so I feel better when I leave here tonight. They're good-looking kids, right? Come on. Uh, something funny happened today. This is really cool. Hold on, I gotta find this. I, I, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but this is really cool. My wife sent me this text just a second ago, right? You ready for this? Maybe you won't think it's as cool as I did, but I thought it was funny. She said, Joseph, the little one, and Grayson, we're running around. They're racing all over the house, and, 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 and Grayson keeps re- winning, right? Because he's like nine, and Joseph's like four. And, and Joe runs up to, to, to Sarah, she, and he goes, Mom, can you learn me to get faster? And Gray just walks by like stone cold, and he's like, you can't teach speed, Joe. And walks off. I was like, man, come on. That's too cool. You can't teach speed. But you know what? My kids ask a lot of questions. A lot of questions. It is incessant. It is constant. Dad, can I have something to drink? Dad, can I have something to eat? Dad, can I play on your iPad? Dad, are we almost there? Dad, how many more towns? Dad, can I drive the Suburban? No, you're five. Dad, can I? Can I, can I, can I? But one question, one question that I've heard more times than I can count, after every ballet recital, after every made basket in the driveway, after every silly dance in the kitchen, there's one question, you know what it is? Daddy, do you see me? Do you see me? Doesn't matter how old you get, does it? Came to tell somebody tonight. Your father sees you. He's the God who sees. He's the God who sees. Here's the question. Are you seeing the God who sees? Are you looking for him? Don't look to anyone else. Don't look to anything else. It won't fulfill you. It's not what saves. Are you seeing the God who sees? I wonder if you just bow your heads.